0: So last week, I started out this brand new series, and the series is called In Rhythm. And what we've been talking about and just really introducing the, really this whole topic to a lot of people is we, as, as the people of God, we have to have faith to hit pause, knowing that the world is never going to stop. There has to be a time where, and it's a time that's set apart from God, but there's this time where we just hit pause, knowing that the world is not going to stop, but we can hit pause knowing who it is that we are and also trusting in the strength that God provides. And, and last week also I identified really what Sabbath is, and I said Sabbath is a container that we choose to fill with better things. The Sabbath is a container that we choose to fill with better things. I'm so thankful that that the Sabbath isn't to be stale. It's actually supposed to, to add life to you. There's delight there. We're going to see this next week. There's a time to contemplate God. We're going to see that in two weeks. And today what we're going to see is Sabbath is a time of rest. The Sabbath is a time of rest. Now, let me just kind of see who's in the crowd. Uh, I believe most of us probably have these, these little phrases that our mom and dad or maybe our grandma and grandpa have said throughout the years. Like, you, did your grandma and grandpa ever, or your mom or dad ever have this, like, this phrase? They, like, said it all the time, and it's like somehow it's just stuck in your mind. You don't even know where it necessarily came from, but it's just there. And, uh, and, and oftentimes we don't even know that it's there until we say something that our parents said. And then it, we, it dawns on us, we're like, I am my mom. I am my dad. And then it's kind of like the aha, like, oh, my goodness, I'm becoming who I thought I'd never become. That's all right. They raised you. You're alive. They did their job, right? So you're here. You're doing well. But I was thinking about this this week because my grandma, she's like full of one-liners. My grandma is, is hilarious. She's like not even five foot tall or barely five foot tall. She's in her 80s. She is just, she is a ball of fire. She's still moving. She's just moving, doing everything. She's everywhere all the time. And I remember distinctly, time after time, that I'd be sitting in her dining room. It's an open floor plan into her kitchen. I'd be sitting in, in the dining room at the table, and my grandma would put her hands on the, on the little island there, and she would say, I am sick and tired of being sick and tired. And, and I remember her saying this over and over and over again, and, I'm just, and I didn't dare to say anything to her. But what I wanted to say to her was, Grandma, I have the fix for that. I really do. Just stop. Just stop. That's all you got to do is just stop. She doesn't know what it means to stop. She's the type of person who always thinks her house is dirty. Now she lives, she lives alone with her cat, and her cat's clean. She's clean. Her house is immaculate. It's like a museum. Like, you go in there, it's always clean. And she, she thinks that her house is just perpetually dirty, so she literally will go and clean all of her picture frames. And she has, like, dozens of grandkids dozens of great-grandkids, and they all have pictures on her wall, right? So she will go, she's very meticulous. And some of you are like, I would do that too. That's awesome. You're like my grandma. I love my grandma. But she doesn't know how to stop. And and I didn't dare say it to her to just, I wanted to honor her and just kind of like, how do you broach that subject? But she would say, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. And I'm thinking, all you have to do is stop. I realized that as I introduced the topic of Sabbath. Some of you maybe you have been in church for a long time and you're like I don't even I don't even have like this vocabulary. I've I've heard it, but I don't even have this as part of like the vocabulary of my everyday life. I don't even understand it. And maybe you have a lot of questions. We had questions. Um, actually in our community group this week there are many questions that were spurred and that were introduced in our group and uh, and we talked about it. Maybe you had questions too. My hope is that in this, that you don't get to the point where you say, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired before you actually embrace the Sabbath that God has for you. If you get to that point, most likely something's going to be wrong. Something's going to be wrong physically. Something's definitely going to be wrong spiritually or something's going to be wrong relationally. And I just want you to pump the brakes on your life right now and understand that if you embrace this, you don't have to wait for the wheels to come off before you stop before you enjoy this Sabbath rest with God. But if we don't get it right, there's going to be a time, there's going to be a moment, there's going to be a stress that makes us pause. So my hope is that this would give you life, that you would adhere to what God has for you before the wheels come off, before the stress comes in, so that we embrace this. And so what we're going to see, the bottom line for today, is Sabbath is a container with rest. Sabbath is a container with rest. It is a physical rest, but it's also a rest for the soul. It's a rest for you to stop doing and to stop feel like you have to keep doing. It's a time for you to stop doing, for you to not feel like you have to produce or perform to what you already have if you're a follower of Jesus. So Sabbath is a container to rest. I will sadly tell you this, though, some things will try to destroy your container. Some things will try to destroy your container. I know and I've heard conversation already. Some of you are like, I want to get the Sabbath thing right. Anyone practice Sabbath at least a little bit this week at all? Anyone? 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 A few? Me too. But I just want you to know, if, if once we go full bore into this thing, and I believe that we will as a church and we just little by little, we're going to gain some steam and we're going to do it. I just want you to know, there are going to be things that try to seek to, to destroy the container and the container being Sabbath. Some things on uh, on my list with that is some things that would try to destroy your container is just busyness. Clouded minds where we sit and you maybe say, well, I have this container of Sabbath and I want to spend some time with Jesus. Your mind could get so cloudy. And then after a while, the, the, the cloudiness and then we'll build a restlessness. And what I've seen many, many times in my own life is when that cloudiness and that restlessness comes, then I bounce. Then I go do something else. But it's in that moment that we need to sit longer, that God is trying to break through that monotony, that cloud that's forming in our mind. Some things that seek to destroy your container are impossible workloads, impossible workloads. Some of the things that we put on ourselves, some of the things that, that others put on us, these things will seek to destroy your Sabbath container. There are going to be some irresistible decisions. There are going to be decisions that you're put up to, and it seems like I, I, I have to do this. Like you feel so compelled to betray the Sabbath, although you know that it's the right thing for you. There's going to be, there are going to be times, and those things are going to be there to seek to destroy your container of Sabbath. There, there, are so, there are also going to be some things that try to get into your container, that try to get into your container. Kids' activities, meetings, cutting the grass, doing chores around the house, all paid and unpaid work will seek to get into your container. I mean, you can just mark it down. These things will happen. But what we're going to see today in Deuteronomy 5, that's where we're going to be right now. In Deuteronomy 5, starting in verse 12, what we're going to see is God knew what we needed before we knew what we needed. And we're going to see how in Deuteronomy 5, this is a different way of addressing the topic of Sabbath than what was previously addressed in Exodus 20. There are some additions to the Deuteronomy 5 passage that for some reason God did not put in Exodus 20. So what we're going to see here is also uh, just another reiteration of the Ten Commandments. But there's this addition, them being people of God and also the circumstance that they would find themselves in. So Deuteronomy 5, starting in verse 12, this is what it says. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. If you're somebody who marks in your Bible... You might want to to mark those words. Do all your work. Do all your work. Six days you shall labor and do all, all. Emphasis, thank you. Your work. It Explains why I don't sing. Verse 14. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Did you mean any work? I think that's what God means. He said not to do any work. Neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any other or any of your animals, nor the alien or stranger within your gates or within your cities, as some translations say, so that your manservant or maidservant may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe The Sabbath day. Sabbath is a family rhythm. Did you see that everyone within the home was supposed to receive a Sabbath? The animals, the earth, everyone living under the banner of that family was supposed to receive a Sabbath. This wasn't a solo venture. This wasn't, well, the parents are going to go Sabbath over here and and the kids are going to go do whatever kids do, and it wasn't, well, well, I'm going to make sure that my wife and my kids get the Sabbath while I go work. It was a family thing. This was a, a day set apart. Sabbath is a time to rest wholly to the Lord, but it is a family rhythm. It's a gift for the whole family, not for the family to go their separate ways. Well, I'm going to Sabbath here, and you're going to Sabbath here, and we're just going to let the kids go in the room, and we're going to lock the door from the outside to make sure that we can Sabbath, and they can do whatever, and if we hear screaming, we'll open them up and let them out. Like, that's not what it is. It's a family rhythm. There's something here for everyone in the family that we would all benefit from. Sabbath is a time to rest holy to the Lord. Did you see at the latter part of this, starting in verse 15, God brought back uh, to mind he says remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the lord your god brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm what he's what he's reminding them is remember the time when you had no control over your day remember the time when pharaoh forced labor upon you Remember the time when you got into a level of despair where there was hopelessness, where all you knew was work, and that Pharaoh was the one who was the warlord over you, and he imposed this punishment, strict punishment, where you just had to work no matter what. And remember also that when you were doing your work and he didn't like the way that you were doing it, Then Pharaoh said, not only do you have to meet the quota of bricks, but also then you have to go out and get your own supplies. But he kept the quota. He's saying, remember who you are. And remember, because who you are, it's separated from what you're doing. Remember that that who you are is not bound to what you do. Remember that you're a set-apart people, and because you're a set-apart people, you're no longer slaves like you were. You're, you're no longer enslaved to the Pharaoh that is, who's lording over you, imposing these things upon you. You no longer have a taskmaster who's demanding you to perform. He says, no, no, no. Sabbath is a time to rest holy to the Lord, and remember who you are. Remember who you are is set-apart people. I believe there are some bad habits and mindsets that reinforce patterns of unrest. Just bad beliefs and mindsets that reinforce patterns of unrest. And some of them I've listed out. The first one is it's the bad belief or mindset that I am what I do that I am what I do. I find people who think like this, they are just habitually busy. And they're habitually busy and they don't even know how to rest because they've bought into the lie that I am what I do. And as long as I'm doing something, I have value. But if I stop, it, it devalues me. But if Sabbath is a time to rest and a rest from God, and, and it's a gift from God, it's a container that we can choose to fill with better things, then this mindset has to go away that I am what I do. Rest is used with these type of people. Rest is used synonymously with the word lazy. Rest to these people are used with the word lazy. So when they think, oh, you're resting, don't you have something better to do? They've bought into the bad mindset or or a bad belief that they are what they do. Uh, when I was younger, I, uh, just in, into my teens, I was a Boy Scout. And in Boy Scouts, when you go out, the way that you can raise, gain rank is some community service things, and you have to memorize some things and also get merit badges. I don't know what the equivalent is for girl, with the Girl Scouts. I have no idea about Girl Scouts. The only thing I know about Girl Scouts is Samoas, Thin Mint's, Whatever those whatever those peanut butter things are, those are good too. And, and even a little shortbread, you would think that they're boring, but they're good too. They're all good. That's all I know about Girl Scouts. So maybe there's an equivalent with Girl Scouts. I don't know. I know they have a sash. They have a sash, right? Girl Scouts, a sash? Anyone? Help me. I'm dying here. Yes, thank you. I thought they did. Boy Scouts have a sash too. Different color, thankfully. But um, part of my journey in Boy Scouts is I wanted to go out, and I, I, I tend to be someone who just wants to do, 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 so I wanted to accomplish uh, Eagle Scout, but I couldn't because I found girls, a car, and work, so that kind of derailed my, my pursuit of being an Eagle Scout, to be honest. But uh, in that, I, I remember that I believe I was trying to get my star, merit, but my, to be a star scout, to get to that level, that rank. Doesn't really mean much, but a star. And I remember I had this, uh, this trip that was planned, for the whole troop to where we could get our canoeing merit badge. It was kind of fun. I was like canoeing. I didn't know anything about canoeing, but we set out on this little adventure, and they'd give us the spiel, what we had to do. We had to show proficiency in different areas and how to paddle and how to maneuver and all that. And uh, so all that was great. But then they told us, they said, well, the, the final thing that you have to do is you have to go out in the middle of this, it's like a big pond, small lake, you have to go out here and you have to swamp your canoe. So I'm the only one in the canoe. They told us how to do it. I'm the only one in the canoe. And they tell us we have to flip the canoe over, then push it underwater to make sure it's full of water. Then alone, we then had to unswamp the canoe, and we had to flip the canoe up, like vertically, upside down, and then while treading water, and then push the canoe up, drain the water, and then somehow thrust our body back into the canoe. Not easy. What made it harder was as soon as I got out of the canoe and I got into, into the water, the water just wasn't like normal. It was like a lot of other ponds maybe that you've been in to where you realize that the, the bottom of it was kind of squishy. By kind of squishy, I mean that the, that the mud seeped up between my toes and then it not only seeped up between my toes, then it actually started engulfing my ankle and went up, partially up my calf. Somebody say that's gross. It was and uh, so, so not only do I, did I have to swamp the canoe and then take the water out of it and throw myself in, now I found myself then stuck in the mud. It was the type of mud where you, like, lift your foot up and it's like, like that. It was literally like that. So minus the sound effects. Those were free. So, so in that, not only did I have to, to do all that with the canoe, then also I had to unstick my feet and my legs from the mud. I successfully did it. Thank you very much. You don't seem impressed. I did it. I remember getting out of or starting to, to get in the procession to leave and and all of the canoes were kind of stacked up and I was a ways off and I remember looking out and, and and I noticed that it was something odd as as the the rest of the scouts were getting out of their canoes there was a bit of concern on their face because then the scoutmasters had I noticed that they had taken their knives and they were taking their knives and they were actually cutting these black things off of their Legs and ankles, um, and then it got progressively more difficult, um, and that was kind of gross, right? So, so then I'm thinking, yeah, that's just disgusting. And so, eventually, I got out, and they, 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 I don't know what you call that de leeching, de slugging, I don't know what it was. They de whatevered and took the nastiness off there, but they literally had to cut it off. My had to literally just kind of like write right down your skin to take them off. It was gross, we all agree. You see, in the scouts, I I wanted to gain rank, so to gain rank, I had to get a merit badge. I had to go through something that was difficult like that. Many of us, we treat our busyness as a merit badge, the merit badge of success. Many of us, we, we think our busyness is, well, I've got to do these things if I'm going to be successful. And if that is even anywhere in your, in your mind and in your heart, you've already bought into the bad mindset and belief that I am what I do. If you if you believe for a second that your busyness equals success, you have already bought into the bad mindset. And really it's a corrosive belief. Another thing I have on my list is this. People say, Well, I just have too many things to do to rest. And usually when people say this, they start going down the list of their kids. And like, my kids have this and my kids have this and my kids have this, and I've got this, and I've got this, and I have to work, and I have this. But but really, the underlying question, I think, that has to be asked is, why do you do all those things? Like, what leads you to think that you have to say yes to all of your kids' activities? What leads you to think that you have to say yes to every serving opportunity? What, what leads you to say yes to every time that somebody asks you to, to do anything or go anywhere, you automatically feel like you have to? We may say, well, I just have too many things to do to rest. And then if we, if we then start to list the things that our kids are involved in, or maybe it's like, well, I just have too many things to do to rest. I can't rest. I can't take a day off because my kid has this, my daughter has this, my son has this. And, and what we can then do is we can say, the reason why I can't rest is because you, God, Because my kids, as the word of God says, the kids are a blessing from the Lord. So now you're taking the blessing that God is giving you and using that blessing as an excuse for disobedience. So so you're using God. If you say, well, I have have too many things to do to rest. What we do in this way in, in parenting is we blame God for not allowing us to do what God told us to do. So we're blaming God. All the while saying, well, I just have too many things to do to rest. But you have to ask yourself the question, why do you have so many things to do? I've also heard this said, I will rest when I retire. And the, the kind of the phrase and maybe the, the bad mindset and belief that backs this up is say, well, I will rest when I retire. And that many times that busyness is just running away from themselves running away from themselves, And I just want you to know, when you retire, you will never retire from yourself. You may retire, have your feet in the sand, the mountains, but you know what else is going to be there? You. You're never going to retire from you. God has given us a Sabbath. You're never going to retire from yourself. So we can't just Get into this mindset. Well, I'll just I'll just rest when I retire. You deserve better, and God knows it. Another thing that, uh, that that I've heard said is, well, if I don't do it, no one else will. And this could be true of you. If you're self-employed, this could be true of you. And you're like, yes, this this one doesn't pertain to me because I'm self-employed. You're right. If I don't do it, no one else will. And perhaps. That's right. So another question that I would ask in regards to that, and I introduced this question last week, is if you are self-employed and and you feel the, the weight of your company and the weight of your doing and all these things, all that's on your shoulder, you have to ask yourself the question, do I trust that God will meet my needs and concerns if I Sabbath? Because remember, it's having faith to hit pause in a world that never stops. So sure, if I don't do it, no one else will. Perhaps that's true. But do you have faith to believe that God is going to meet all of your cares and concerns if you rest in him? Also, with this, if I don't do it, no one else will, is is what's commonly referred to as the martyr complex. And this is the it's really a self-centered thing, but it's this idea that that. I've got this to do, and I've got to go help them, and I've got to go help them. And, and it isn't a matter of silently helping. You let everybody else know that you have to go help them. And it's not the help that is, is what is driving it. It's yourself. And it's this mindset, well, if I don't do it, no one else will. So then you're explaining away your busyness. You're explaining away why, most likely, why you're involved in more things than you ought to be. This also would explain why, why it is that there's a, a, a gross amount of helicopter parenting not allowing our kids to be themselves. And you say, well, if I don't do it, no one else will. I've got to look out for them. No one, they're my kids. I, no one else is going to do it. Or, you know, if no one's going to do it, then I'm going to have to do it. And this is all rooted in the martyr complex. It's saying that I, I, I am more important. And I'm doing these things, and I want you to see that I'm important because I'm doing them. And I want to just add some level of comfort and wisdom and discernment to you. You are not the person who's supposed to fix everybody's problems. You are not the person who's supposed to fix all of your kids' problems. And Christian, let me just make this clear. You are not the Holy Spirit. You're not. So we don't need to seek to be the Holy Spirit for God. He does that all by himself, and he does a really good job at it. He really does. So, this mindset or bad belief that if I don't do it, no one else will. Again, we have to look at what is it that motivates us. Adam Mabry, I mentioned this last week, Adam Mabry, in his book, The Art of Rest, he says that many people don't rest because they have their own version of the good life or they have their own version of heaven that they're pursuing. So, he has some of these things, and he says people don't rest because their version of heaven or the good life is a vacation once a year. Or if you're affluent and have the means, maybe two or three times a year. That's just not the version of the good life. The version of the good life isn't a weekend trip that you can take to the beach. That's not the good life. Uh, The good life for you isn't a trip that you get to go to the mountains. Well, I have enough money, now I can go out to eat. That's not the good life. The good life is rooted in Jesus, being satisfied in Him. And then, w- when you're satisfied in Him, then you can be content in Him and you can really enjoy the life that He's given you without those things being an idol. So this idea of heaven is the vacation once a year, and that's their version of the good life, this becomes some reasons why we we don't rest. Another one is this, because maybe the, the version of the good life or heaven is is just to see their kids adjusted and their kids getting what they want and, and then just seeing that they're productive humans. And it's my job. It's my job on earth to make my kids have everything they want for them to be productive humans on earth. And again, if that's your version of the good life, you're not going to find rest in Jesus. Because the assumption is, the only way I'm going to be able to rest is when my kids have everything they want and when they have pursued their dreams. And that's fleeting. The gospel promises better. Another one, maybe you, you go to the gym. Maybe you spend a lot of time in the gym. I spend a lot of time in the gym. I could, I could fall right into this trap of thinking, well, if I just go to the gym, maybe I just, I'll just go and I'll get stronger and I'll get leaner and I'll get fit. And maybe the, the version of the good life is just literally just physical health. Then also could drive us to seasons of unrest. And the the false belief in this is that heaven is within my reach. All I have to do is just condition my body enough and then I can have the good life. These become obstacles to our rest. And then the last one that I have is there's this phrase that's going around our culture just to find your best self. I'm sure we've heard of that. Be your best self. Find your best self. The reason why this is not the, the the best way that Jesus has for us. The reason why I want to just put some holes in this whole thing is this is rooted in the idea that heaven is found in self-discovery. That heaven or the good life is found in self-discovery. That means that heaven or this this false version of heaven is rooted in myself and I just need to go find it in myself. And that will lead us to a cycle of unrest because... You're always going to be going into yourself looking for the best version of yourself. And the best version of yourself is not by going internal. The best version of yourself is by surrendering to Jesus and allowing the Holy Spirit of God then to show you what needs to change. And then you can become your best self. Not by your strength, but by your surrender. All of these things become then things that oppose our rest. I want to say this about Sabbath. Sabbath is is resting with God, not resting from God. Sabbath is resting with God, not resting from God, which is why you can't say, well, my Sabbath was the nap I took on Sunday afternoon. I had my Sabbath. I woke up. I annoyed everybody in the house, but I had a good nap. I Sabbath. Now I can go out and run frantically. Sabbath is resting with God, not resting from God. Allow that to sink in. If it's resting with God, not from God, that means there's going to be certain things in your Sabbath container and certain things outside of your Sabbath container. We'll dig deeply into this. In verse 13 and 14 of Deuteronomy uh, 5, I want to bring this out. Six days you work as worship to the Lord, and on the seventh day you rest as worship to the Lord. So six days you work as worship to the Lord and the seventh day you rest as worship to the Lord. If you could go to the left in your Bible to Genesis 2, we're going to look at verses 1 through 3 and what we're going to see is something that is, I believe, um, it'll be comforting to you and I also think it's going to be surprising for many or most of you as when God Uh, rest on on the, the seventh day that would be our Sabbath day as to actually what's happening. In Genesis 2, 1 through 3, it says this, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work He had been doing. So on the seventh day, He rested from all His work. And God blessed the seventh day and He made it holy because on it, He rested from all the work of creating that He had done. This is prior to when sin had been introduced into humanity. So now, what I want you to to take in is God rested from his work for enjoyment, not from exhaustion. For enjoyment. He stopped to enjoy his creation. Remember, Adam and Eve, prior to sin, all of creation in the Garden of Eden, it was a matter of. Of them being able to enjoy the presence of God. To enjoy the presence of God. To daily commune with God. Abiding before sin was introduced into humanity was just normal. God rested from His work for enjoyment, not from exhaustion. Which is why I want us to, even if you don't feel like you need to rest, like you feel like if you have life, I still want you to learn how to prioritize Sabbath because it's going to help you in the long run. I want to help you before the wheels come off of your life and you're feeling the emotional, relational, spiritual stress and burden and, and all and the and anxiety. I want to help you before that day. So you create this this. Sabbath container that you can fill with better things. That way, when those things, when those things start to creep up, that you have some reserves because you've been communing with God through this. Jesus said this about the Sabbath. Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. He said this in Mark 2. Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, so that the Son of Man, that being Jesus, he's referring to himself, so that the Son of Man is Lord So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. This is a profound biblical and theological truth because what Jesus is saying to that audience is He is claiming that He is is at the same level as God the Father. And of course, if you are in Christ now, you know that He is one with the Father. Amen? But yet in their day, these things were still coming out, and to His audience, this was like earth-shattering. And to them, the Sabbath was law. The Sabbath was, you have to do these things. This is just part of the other laws that uh, that also, that even man, they had taken some of what God's laws and then some man's laws and interwoven. So now they couldn't see any, they couldn't see a difference between anything that was man-made or God-made. And what Jesus says is, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Sabbath is a gift. He knew what we needed. And he knows what we currently need. He holds the future. Now, if you would indulge me, this go to the right in your Bible and to Colossians chapter two. We're going to look at verses 13 through 17. What we're going to see is that the Sabbath isn't just an Old Testament idea. This is also mentioned again um, in the epistles, in the letters of Paul, but then again it's going to be mentioned in Hebrews. We're going to get to that in just a moment. Colossians 2 starting in verse 13 I want you to notice first that he he reminds them of the gospel that they've believed. He reminds them that that one doesn't become a Christian, one doesn't become a disciple of Jesus, one doesn't become an apprentice of Jesus because They just want to be a better person. One becomes a disciple of Jesus, understanding that they are dead in their sins, they're in need of a Savior, and that they are spiritually dead, and the only way that they can have life is by giving an acknowledgment of their sinful condition before God, and then in in surrender, an acknowledgment of the cross, then one can have spiritual life. This is what he says. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature... God made you alive with Christ. He says, this is who you were, this is who you are. This is who you were, and this is who you are. I couldn't help but think of in Deuteronomy 5, when there's an echo of the same thing, says, this is who you were. You were slaves in Egypt. You were enslaved by Pharaoh. But remember who you are. You're my people. Remember who you were, what, what was happening, but remember who you are. God made you alive in Christ. He forgave all of your sins having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. What he's making reference to is the innumerable uh, laws that were imposed upon the people just so they could strive to be with God. And Paul says, no, 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 no. Remember the gospel. It did away with all of those things. The gospel is better. It's more satisfying. It's not on a matter of what you do. It's a matter of what Jesus did in our response of surrender. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and stood opposed to us. He took it, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle over them, triumphing over them by the cross. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink and with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shout of the things that were to come, but, but excuse me. the reality, however, is found in Christ. There were some legalists who had come into the church and they were imposing rules, so they were adding this level of legalism on top of the gospel. And anytime you add rules on top of the gospel, it stops being the gospel. It begins in that moment to be a false gospel. And these legalists had come in and they were saying, sure, yeah, you can have the gospel, but you also have to adhere to the noon moon celebration. You have to really watch what you eat. You're going to have to have a kosher diet, just like the good Jews were. And you're going to uphold every religious festival. And then he even says Sabbath day. Now, you may look at that and say, well, didn't he just say that he did away with the Sabbath day? That's not actually accurate because what we're going to see in Hebrews 4, instead what he's talking about is the Sabbath day is not bound to the Jewish calendar. This would be life-giving for some of you if you're in law enforcement. This would be life-giving for some of you if you work in the medical field. Some of you, maybe you drive a truck or you have just a job, your profession is very erratic. And you may say, well, if... If I'm just supposed to adhere to the Jewish schedule to where it's like, you know, Friday night to Sunday, or to excuse me, Saturday night, like it's that, then, then that seems like it just bookends my life. And what Paul, what Paul is saying is I'm giving you an allowance for things that are, are actually a little abnormal. So the Sabbath day, the strictness of that particular day, he says, doesn't exist anymore, but instead observe the Sabbath day. But now you have freedom to make it fit into your schedule. Still not convinced? I totally get it. Hebrews 4, starting in verse 9. This will be on the screen. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rents also enters um, from his own work, or he rests from his own work, just as God did from his let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience the word just previous to this in its context was just speaking about and warning and strictly talking about what the people were doing they weren't abiding by god's law of love they were just kind of doing their own thing and they were they just become disobedient And in their disobedience, apparently they were neglecting some of these things. And the author of Hebrews, he says, There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. You see, Sabbath is resting from all paid and unpaid work. Paid work makes a lot of sense. like that. That's crystal clear. Unpaid work may be a little bit ambiguous, but we're going to dig into this to help you to understand it. I want to use this quote by Ruth Haley Barton to, to, uh, to introduce this part. Sabbath is a way of arranging our life. This is what she said. Sabbath is a way of arranging our life to honor the rhythm of things, work and rest, fruitfulness and dormancy, giving and receiving, being and doing, activism and surrender. So she says, Sabbath is a way of arranging our life to honor the rhythm of things. The rhythm of our being and our doing and our striving and our resting. So how can one figure out what constitutes either paid or excuse me, what is unpaid work or not? So this is the, the first question. Maybe you want to write this down. This won't be on the screen. When trying to figure out what is unpaid work, here's, here's one question to help you. Is your work, paid or unpaid, part of a list that gets checked off upon completion? Is on, and you're trying to figure out, okay, what goes into my Sabbath container? What, what is actual rest? What is work? What is unpaid work? Question Is your work paid or unpaid part of a list that gets checked off after completion? If it's part of a list that gets checked off after completion, that it speaks into our striving, our accomplishing. Sabbath is not a time for us to strive and accomplish, it's to rest in who Jesus is and to delight and contemplate Him. Now, the question is this Does your working make you feel worthwhile? Does your working make you feel worthwhile? It's like, does just something like stir in you when you're, you're trying to sap and trying to figure out what's unpaid work? Is there something that just becomes gratifying? Like, I'm doing this. That too is a sign you're trying to meet your own level of success. Another question. This one's very outright. Will this make me feel accomplished? Will this make me feel accomplished? Sabbath is a time to rest with God, not rest from God. Will this make me feel accomplished? And is this work, another question, is this work just an attempt to avoid being by myself? Is this work just an attempt to avoid being by myself? Or am I using my work to hide from God? am i using my work to hide from god you see sabbath rest is a is it's a rest from a god who's rescuing us the god who rescues it's the god who was who was trying to rescue the people of israel in deuteronomy 5 try and rescue them from just this bad pattern of belief that that they are what they do and that, they're, that maybe that they're just, they just feel like they have to work and strive and strive and strive because Pharaoh was, was oppressing them and they just maybe started to believe that. And God reminded them who they are. God was trying to rescue them. And I believe he's still trying to rescue us. Sabbath rest has many counterfeits. Some of the counterfeits are these, watching TV, looking at your phones, Be specific, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. The idea that work is my rest or shopping. Got a couple more just in case none of these speak into you. The idea of napping, that's a counterfeit Sabbath. Doing chores or thinking that my Sabbath is simply a day off of paid work so I can go do what I want to do. That also is a counterfeit Sabbath. All right, so I, I need hundred percent participation on this next part, and then I promise you, once we get done with this, I'm going to give you some takeaways. And then we're through. So, but if not, I'm going to drag this thing on for thirty minutes. So, really, the length of the sermon is determined by your participation. All right. Um. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say this little jingle that you should know, and then I need someone. There's going to be a winner with a prize. Um, I know, I know. So incentives here. So you're going to get a prize to see how well you do in completing this jingle. And I'm hoping that somebody does. If not, I'm going to keep the prize myself. All right, so that's fine. So it's really up to you the length of the sermon, who gets the prize. I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot at stake here. All right, you in, are you in? Are you in? All right. Um, I have to get the jingle in my head. All right, I got it. Finish this. Give me a break give me a break, break me off a piece of that. All right. So, very well. There was someone in this area. Who was the loudest? Just, oh, everyone was the loudest. So, it was one family. Uh, all right, cool. So, here you go. This one goes to you. No, I'm not going to throw it. I'll put an eye out or something. That's a lawsuit. Here you go. You got to come up and get it. You were were. You Full-size Kit-Kat bar. See, that's why we roll around here. Awesome. There you go. Yep. Although you all deserve a reward, which is why when you leave today, you're all going to get a Kit-Kat of your own as a reward. So, not a full-size, though. Sorry, couldn't afford that. Here are the takeaways, and I'm going to wrap up this talk. Knowing that Sabbath is a gift, and Sabbath remains for believers today, True in the Old Testament, true in the New Testament, true of today. Therefore remains a Sabbath rest. Sabbath is a family rhythm. Sabbath is a family rhythm. Sabbath is a time set apart for rest. And this rest is a time to rest with God. Sabbath is a time to rest with God, not a time to rest from God. This rest is a rest from paid or unpaid work. And lastly, inside the Sabbath container, there is rest. I'm so glad that this this is God's idea. I'm so glad that, that God knows what we need, that He reminds us and He says, Remember the Sabbath in Exodus 20. And then He says in Deuteronomy 5 Observe the Sabbath. And then we're also reminded all the way near about to the end of the New Testament that the Sabbath still exists, and it's a rest for the believer today. I want to pray for you, and honestly, I want to pray for me, because this isn't something that that just, that just falls into our lap. This is something that we have to create. So let's pray, and then i uh, just going to seek the Lord's strength and ability to do this. Father, we come to you today, and God, I'm so thankful that not only do you show us the truth, that you also give believers the strength to live it out, just out of the, the very being that you are, that you being loving and that you being merciful, Lord, you're you're being merciful by by showing us that we're not bound to our work schedules, either paid or unpaid work, that God, that even Sabbath isn't a container that is that is stale, it's something that's to Add life. Father, I'm, I'm so humbled and grateful that you would care about me and that you would care about all these people. Enough that, that you would just say, come to me, all you are weary and burdened. And Lord Jesus, you said that you would give them rest. It's a very rest for their soul. I'm so thankful that the gospel is real, that Jesus Christ is, is the, the Lord and King, that He's the reigning King, that Satan has been defeated, that there's victory, the powers and the, the principalities and powers have been defeated. They've been nailed to the cross so that we can live victoriously through You. Amen. Amen.